Thank you for downloading Season 5, Episode 13 of Baseball Pitching Fix, featuring baseball pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish, and with me, as always, is Angel. How are we doing today, Angel? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am just fantastic. We have a really well-loaded show this this week. I just want to give a quick overview of what we'll be doing. Um, we'll be starting out lessons in MLB. Angel will be talking about some important things that Angel has seen and heard over the last few days. In the teaching moment, we will be going over front leg knee mechanics. And in the ninth inning, which is usually mystery, Angel decided to give me a little bit of information so I could whet your appetite. And we have a very special segment for coaches on how to connect the dots between the location of pain and soreness that you hear from a pitcher after he comes off the mound and where to look in his mechanics based on based on the soreness that, that he's reported to you. So that's going to be a really important segment. I'm actually looking forward to that quite a bit. Before we get to that, we're going to start off with lessons of MLB and Angel Tell us what you've been seeing and hearing lately that's kind of got your goat. Well, it actually, it didn't really get my goat. It actually gave me an idea. And I know I have tons of coaches and actually major league coaches and minor league coaches that listen to the podcast. So I want to continue to always, always create ideas for moving forward with everything that's being done. So I'm watching the Yankees and Boston Red Sox the other day and happened to be one of the games they won. And everyone knows I'm an avid Yankees fan. So I'm listening to the announcers and they said two things and they almost were like two breaths apart. And it, and it started me thinking. So first they were talking about and discussing how much baseball has gone towards statistics. And we've talked about this too, how now it's been right. And they don't want them to talk about batting average. They wanted to talk, they wanted them to talk about on base percentage and, and then an exit velocity. And they were going on and on about the statistics and how baseball has really changed. And of course the announcers are always ex baseball pitchers and catchers, et cetera. So they're talking about the way it used to be and the way it is now. And then they mentioned, and I can't, I'm not sure the team, so I don't want to say the name. And I think there was more than one. Then they said something interesting. They said, they referred to Moneyball, of course. And they said, well, now guess what's happening? They've actually got a statistician that is traveling with the team and is in communication with the coach each inning on each pitcher's spin rate and actually informing him of statistical issues that are indicating that the pitcher should be pulled. Hmm. And this is in the game reporting. So I'm going, wow. And I'm like, okay. And I kind of, well, you know, I'm all for uh, not being afraid to understand and know what's happening in the moment. But of course, I'm always uh, take it to the next level because of the work that I do. So I was intrigued by the fact that teams were open to this, but that they were open to it in the inning, in other words, the coach who heretofore would be saying, oh, wow, his arm's dropping, her stride's changing, you know, or, of course, hey, he's walking, guys, that the pitching coach would just walk out to the mound. I was intrigued by the fact that they were letting somebody else 
feed them information that probably correlates to what they've seen, but I just thought it was interesting. And then, of course, part of me felt really jealous because it's sort of like there's actually more times when personal information about a pitcher can be given to a pitching coach, and I was wishing they would be open to that. And in the next breath, a pitcher comes in for the Yankees, and I'm not going to mention any names because, you know, I, I just don't want to. But this is a new pitcher they got in the last few years. And when I first saw him on the mound, I went, whoa, who is this guy? I loved him. And last year, he was great. They put him in, and I haven't watched many live games this year because I've been so busy, but in the this part of the season, I don't miss one. And they said... They they put him in. He was it was in the middle of the game. They happened to be sw- going through a lot of pitchers, and they said, "We nobody knows what happened to this guy. You're probably not going to see him in the playoff game on Wednesday night against the A's. He was so good, and now he can't find the plate. His velocity doesn't seem to be down, but something's happened, and now it's getting in his head." And they're really worried about him. But, you know, they don't know how to use him, but I don't think we're going to see him again. But it's too bad about him. So in one breath, they're talking about this innovative thing they're doing to measure performance and to assist the coaches in on the spot, like, whoa, pull him out. His spin rate went down like by two. So he must be on his way out and pull him out and put someone else in. And on the other breath, they're talking about a human being, a man with a job who has been absolutely fantastic. And now all of a sudden, something's wrong. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I get my remote and I just frame by frame, one pitch. I went, you are kidding me, right? Give me something hard to look at. I mean, Are you kidding that you can't see what's wrong? Joe, his arm, first of all, the way he moved from his knee lift to his front foot landing, he, all I know is he never looked like that. And he was all crouched over and the glove was a mile away from his body. And he's bouncing the ball back and forth in the glove before he pitches, but when he's coming set, like he's nervous, crouches down with the worst low back position I've ever seen, strides out in an unusual manner. His arm is so late, but in the moment he's late, he pulls himself up. And like many pitchers who are good do, he kind of looks good rotating, even though he's rotating before his arm's in place. Then because his arm is so late, he's completely off with his shoulders and does this releases the ball in a ridiculous way and then of course falls all over the place in his follow through and i'm like oh my god what happened to you and i'm i feel so bad for him and what you can tell is that this is a guy i mean when you have a pitcher that has always been good and then something goes wrong he's the one you want to put some time into And I thought, why are they, if they're open to the statistical thing, and it seems like major league teams are open to numbers and things, like they're letting people measure spin rate and measure exit velocity and do all this stuff that is so 
impersonal, but so statistical. But yet here's a guy, it's like, this is somebody's son. This might be somebody's husband. This is a man with a job who's been great. And all of a sudden he's not great. He's not only not great, he's completely changed. You can tell when a pitcher had a problem, either tried to fix it himself or had too much information because he looks completely different. But in the middle of this, in the middle of this sandwich with stale bread, I can still see his greatness. And he was really great. So my brain started going, okay, why don't they, if they have a guy that gives the pitcher, the coach's statistics, hey, his spin rate's going down, why not start to develop something like a triage system? Okay, this guy's going downhill. He's really going downhill. He looks really bad. Now you pass him off to someone, let's say, who does what I do. Take a look at his video. What is going on with him? Let's pretend that he just started getting bad. So they're kind of shocked. Uh-oh, something's wrong. We've had to pull him three games now. Okay, three's a pattern. Okay, Angel or someone, here's the video. Tell us what you see. Then you immediately get him on the mound and you tell the guy who by this time is hungry for information and you say, okay, you show him on the video, here's what's different. And maybe you compare it to the video from last year. Here's what's different. You've changed your stride. You also got the glove too far away. So your arm is late. The pitcher always, especially when he sees it, is going to go, you know what? I feel that way then you, me, or someone with my skills has the ability to start to teach him the adjustment. Then you take this guy and you take him to the strength coach. And then you say to the strength coach, okay, now in the gym, he's having trouble maintaining his back position in his stride. We need you to develop his position where he can move sideways, maintaining his back position. Because when he slumps over, his arms come out funny and then his arm is late. The strength coach maybe has to see some video. Okay, I see what you want. Has to be talked to in a strength coach kind of language. And then he takes a program that for that moment in that week, this is what this guy's doing to help him fix the mechanics. I said, what a great idea. If a team is open to having a head coach have in his ear, hey, his spin rate went down. You need to pull him. If if you're open to that, why not be open to this other suggestion? And as I've mentioned before on the program, I believe that what's happening with all the injuries is more of a lack of this kind of thing than something that's going wrong. It's like things are going to go wrong with an athlete, but if you have a, pl a program in place to handle the things that go wrong, it's sort of like now we have internet, now we have cell phones. Because we have more technology, we now have another department of things that go wrong. Our phones don't work. We're not getting connection, something. Whenever you up something, which happens in life every year, things improve, you have to bring things in 
to balance it. So my whole thing is when I heard this, I said, this is exactly what I've been saying. So I want to continue putting this into the minds because so for many of you who are high school coaches or maybe just uh, college coaches and even the professional coaches to start to just tickle this idea to like plant this seed that with a triage system like this, you can take your pitchers who are great. I mean, they work for you. And when something starts to go wrong, get on it right away. And if you are open to the statistics telling you, hey, something's wrong, why not take it to the next level? It's sort of like if your wife or your mother or your father, all of a sudden you notice they're falling or all of a sudden you notice they can't hear you or all of a sudden you notice they have times when they can't remember your name, you would not ignore that. You would go, wait a minute, I'm getting a signal here. Let me follow it through because you love them and you don't want to abandon them. And in this moment, when I saw this picture, I felt he was abandoned. I felt like the teams need to have in place a system that can handle this, hand him off to the next person who knows how to deal with that next level of correction, then hand him off to the next guy and work together as a team. And that guy would be back doing his job, not lose his job, and it would all be handled perfectly. And I was so touched by this, not just this moment of awareness, but also by um, the situation that this picture is in right now. And uh, yeah, so that was my uh, heartfelt idea that I want to plant the seed in every coach's head that there are solutions to these problems. And the closer we get to moving in this direction, I think we can find, we can start to make a change. And I want to be at the forefront of that and, and continuing to pound this idea that we can go further and we can do better. We can do better. Yeah, Angel, I, uh, I agree with this idea 100%. The big issue is what you describe is the part of handing over the pitcher to the person who knows how to handle the situation. And I think that's where the, the big breakdown is. And it's because, you know, b before there was a lot of cybermetrics and statistics involved in the game, there was nobody on the coaching staff who was really expected to know all of the stats and all the numbers. That's why these, these statisticians kind of got their way into the game because they brought a whole new voice and a whole new origin of, of looking at things, a whole new perspective. Whereas there's always been, or for the most part, there's always been a pitching coach. And I think that the pitching coach has always been asked to go above and beyond his realm of, of um, training. He, you know, no, no pitching coach really is supposed to know about kinesiology and physiology and biomechanics. Yeah. And I, and I'm not suggesting that they hand them to a pitching coach. Right. What I'm suggesting is the way they're bringing a statistician in, and they were very emphatic about saying this guy travels with the team. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there, so you wouldn't have to have this other person, but the teams need to hire just like, you know, I'm not going to jam them up for wanting to have these detailed, uh, listen, I love that the major league is doing this. They are going in the right direction and they're wanting more concrete information. And yes, what I'm talking about 
maybe, well, it's not as foreign as it sounds. But what I think is there needs to be a system in place and they need to bring in extra people. And they need to bring in, I mean, hire me if you want and let me teach someone on your team how to do it. Just look for and start to get ideas. There are people out there who I think can do the job better than they're doing it. And they need to be on search for this. And I, being somebody who is in this industry, knows the value of it. And it can save jobs. It can save arms. But, you know, this is a person that works for you that when they indicate, when there's an indication of trouble, and I'm not talking about a spin rate went down in one inning. I'm talking about the guy who you can barely put on the mound because something's wrong with them and it's so bad. So I'm, I'm suggesting them considering additional people and in search of that, just when you put, get involved in thinking that way, things start to transform. And that's what I'm suggesting. I absolutely do not think pitching coaches should have this job. As I've always said, pitching coaches have been given too much of a responsibility. That's why I love this show. And all of you pitching coaches that call me all the time, and I have the greatest respect for you because you do call me. I We get so many calls, Joe. I get so many calls. The last show, co- so many coaches called me about, they couldn't believe that photo and the arm speed. It was so cool to be talking to them and them saying, you know, I never thought of it like that. Or I, I knew it, but I didn't really know it. And it was just fantastic. And for pitching coaches to understand, hey, just because you don't know something doesn't mean you're a bad coach, but go ahead and get help. Just like this head coach is getting help now. Hey, the pitching coaches are taking the help from statisticians. So that's what I'm suggesting. Absolutely not putting more on the poor pitching coaches. Their plates are full enough. Right. I'm going to continue finishing my thought here. Here the whole thing is 30 years ago, the baseball coaches, whether it was the hitting coach, the manager, the pitching coach, whoever it was, they were basing how to play their players, how to bat them in the lineup and everything else based on basic statistics, batting average, wins and losses, earned run average, whatever. These specialists came in and showed that there was a whole nother world of statistics that could help performance. In that same way, Major League Baseball especially, because I think the amateur levels are are understanding based on the feedback that we're getting, but the Major League teams need to start to embrace people like you, Angel, who can bring more to the table, just like the statisticians started bringing more to the table 25 years ago, 30 years ago, whenever it started with the whole Bill James thing. And it's, they need to recognize that they, you know, they couldn't measure all of baseball with batting average RBIs and and home runs and, and wins and losses. And it's, it's taken a very long time for them to really accept it and make it a new thing. And in the same way, they need to start to realize that, you know, again, the pitching coach is not necessarily the one who can figure all of this stuff out. Let's bring in the specialist, just like we brought in the statistician. Let's bring in, you know, a person like you who can be that extra, extra set of eyes, that, that new wealth of knowledge that can bring a whole new paradigm to the game, just like statistics did. And I, and I'm, you know, I'm agreeing with you. This is just something that it's something that Major League Baseball has to say, oh, wow, here's something else that maybe we are not experts at that we thought we were experts at before. Maybe there is a piece of this. Maybe there's something about the pitching delivery that we don't really know about, even though we think we do. And I think that's, I think that's the key is, is coming is just swallowing pride or being open or what, however you want to call it. But it's, we've got to knock down that door 
and allow people with your knowledge to come in and say, hey, I can help make this a lot better. That's really the bottom line is just coming to that conclusion. Yeah, it's I'm suggesting something innovative, but that's how innovation starts. Somebody has to plant a seed in somebody's head and there's going to be one person who's out there who's going to go, wow. And it may be the teams or the team that they talked about that actually is already doing this. You know, it's a, and you know, I've always been a fan of the pitchers acting as independent consultants, but when they're in season, they're traveling with the team, they get pulled. Now they've been pulled three, four times from a start, let's say, cause they're doing so poorly. They don't, they're, they're not like, Oh, who can I call, you know, in between, you know, they need something in place that's more uh, available to them with the team supporting them. So a pitcher doesn't feel like he's got to sneak around, but there is one more thing I want to mention in this segment, since I mentioned strength coaches, as you know, I've been a strength coach for 38 years and I'm, I am NSCA certified, uh, since 1990 for the last, uh, whatever number of years that is at uh, 28 years. And it's one of my most endeared during certifications that I have. I almost respect it more than my master's degree. It was uh, to, to get that certification to pass the test. It took me over a year to prepare. And as you know, lately I've been talking about that I think strength coaches are the one possible thing that nobody's turned to yet and that strength coaches themselves ne- uh, need to be in a more of a prominent role with saving our baseball pitchers. I've mentioned that on a few shows. I've mentioned that as part of the remedy. Uh, and I also mentioned it a few weeks ago when we were talking about arm injuries being on the increase that I don't think they're doing enough solid training. I think the strength coaches are not given enough free reign to do what they know. And I also think strength coaches need to have more information about baseball pitchers because, you know, by and large, most strength coaches think, oh, don't go over your head and don't work your arms hard. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So, um, there's, uh, if you, if to all my listeners, because I know you are all sports people as well. So, uh, real sports with Brian Gumbel aired a show this week. Uh, they have many replays. It's on HBO. If you haven't seen it, you have to go watch it. And they had a segment on, um, strength coaches and they didn't really put the title as to what it was. And they said the role that strength coaches play in college. And I went, oh, wow, this is right in line with what I've been talking about. Well, it wasn't exactly about that. Since 2014, over 30 football players, freshmen, sophomores, have died at practice, not in the games. And the strength coaches are being faulted because they are dying in their workouts. And they interviewed strength coaches. They have strength coaches that are being, and these are from D1 universities. You, you have to watch the show. It's heartbreaking. And the parents, you know, who sent their kid off to school to practice, who was completely healthy, and he ends up dead the next day from heat stroke mostly and with symptoms of heat stroke being obvious and a strength coach pounding in the workout. Strength coaches who they said are making 750000 a year because they're so important and that the football coach relies on the strength coach to get his guys in shape so they can play the game. So that now the strength coach is becoming the rock star of football. So on one hand, I'm going, yes, strength coaches are important. In fact, I tell my pitchers, your strength coach can make or break you. And they have all found out the hard way because Again, strength coaches in colleges are very afraid 
of working with their pitchers because they have to work with so many athletes. They don't get to specialize like I do. So there is some work to be done there, but they talked about these strength coaches and then I went on to interview some and some of their answers were pretty bad. They talked about some of them not being certified. Some of them admitted it. Some said they were certified, but they mentioned a certification, which I could infer completely that it was not an NSCA certification. And so when I saw this, I went, wow, this is important. This is an important message, not just to coaches, but to parents. So first of all, you've got to watch this show. Secondly, uh, and especially if you have a child in football. Secondly, if you remember months and months ago, I talked about hiring strength coaches that are NSCA certified, which is not a requirement of, I think, some high schools and colleges. But guess what? I was so happy to find out because I called the NSCA today to find out some details. The MLB requires that the strength coaches be NSCA certified. This is fantastic. So to be a minor league strength coach or a major league strength coach, you have to be NSCA certified. The NC2A is now apparently working with the NSCA to come up with some regulations so that now the NFL, or not the NFL, the NFL does not have in any written documents that their strength coaches have to be NSCA in the MLB, there it is actually in the requirements of a team to be part of the MLB that they have NSCA certified strength coaches. So hooray for the MLB, which now is ahead of things. But the coaches for the colleges, one of them didn't even have a certification at the time of death of one of his students. He didn't, therefore, he didn't know how to handle heat stroke. And you see, this is how I knew they weren't NSCA because all of them mentioned it wasn't in their training. At the NSCA, it took me over a year with having, and you have to have a bachelor's degree to even take the test, over a year to study all the materials. It is a, a, a very thorough certification. It's why I'm so proud of it. One of the guys said he didn't get certified till after the kid's death, and he got it in four weeks, and he got it over the weekend, which told me, and that's how I knew it wasn't an NSCA certification. But I want everyone to watch that show, and I also wanted to, to announce how fantastic it is for the MLB to have this rule. And if anything can inspire all of you coaches to go out and talk to your strength coach, and especially when you see your strength coach almost being like he likes being, I mean, I don't think you might see this in baseball as much as football, but pay attention to what your strength coaches are doing. Inquire as to their background. And if you have any chance at all to require them to get an NSCA certification, which all you have to do is look at the textbook, which is only one part of the materials, you will see that they will be very trained in what to do if someone passes out, is dehydrated, has, uh, you know, heat stroke, any of the things that can happen, particularly when you're playing in states like Arizona. I mean, my guys are telling me it's 110 degrees sometimes when they're playing. But of course, they are knowledgeable because of the training they've had with me about how to hydrate prior to practice. But everyone should watch the show. And for those of you who did and you heard about the strength coaches, I wanted to make sure you understood that my 
that these are not NSCA strength coaches. Now, I have not researched each person, but I could infer it from what I was told about what they knew and didn't know and what they studied and didn't study. And the fact that they thought it was completely up to the athletic trainer to handle medical things. No, because guys go down when you're training. You have to know how to deal with that. So to clear any confusion up and also to inspire any coaches out there to be thorough with our players, to make sure they're in the hands of certified people. And you will be doing that coach a favor by asking him to please go get certified. So, cause as he's training and studying to become an NSCA strength coach, you will be, he will be learning things that are going to make his work so much better. And so I just wanted to get that in there as a professional, uh, almost a requirement of myself being that I have been involved with this wonderful organization for so long, but is that scary, isn't it? Uh, it's frightening and it's horrifying and I, I'm like, I'm speechless about it. I, di- I didn't see the, the show, but it's on HBO. It's Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. It's Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. Yes. Everyone, it just aired this week. I watched the replay. Um, so any, anyone can see it. You have, you absolutely have to see it. And for, especially, I know I meet tons of parents who want kids a football player one's a, you know, a baseball player. Uh, you, you really, really have to see this. It's an actually, it's a heartbreaking show, especially when they put the faces of the 30 kids that have died since 2014 in practice. In fact, they said the safest place was on the field playing a game. Hmm. It was really scary. So anyway, just on a side note and also an encouragement and also to validate and make sure nobody, because you hear me always talking about trust your strength coach, get a good strength coach, but good strength coaches have great certifications and the NSCA is really the best that there is. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. It's, it's episode number 258. We'll put a link to how you can watch it. So let's move on to our teaching moment. And today we will be talking about front leg knee mechanics. So Angel, take it away. So I got another interesting call this week from our favorite coach, the friend to this show, Coach Larry Owens. And he asked me a question. Actually, he was telling me something he believed. A lot of times he comes up with things, he, something happens, he sees something. He says, you know, this is what I think about it. And he decides he wants to check with me. This guy knows way more than he thinks he knows. And uh, and, and I'm always inter- intrigued by the way a coach brings up this issue. And then there was another coach that called me a few weeks ago about getting over the front leg. And this is a front leg knee issue, but it is front leg mechanics. And front leg mechanics are so important. So if you haven't seen the show, uh, about getting over the front leg, you need to, uh, and I don't remember Joe, which episode that was, but it clearly would be in the titles, but you know, we talk about getting over the front leg to release the ball closer to the plate because we want the hand close to the plate. We do not want the foot close to the plate. If the foot's close to the plate and it's your stride is too long, your hand is going to not be as close as when your stride is the right length. And your trunk can go over your front leg. So some uh, Larry called me to ask about the front knee. And this happens to be a passion of mine because I noticed many years ago that there are many pitchers that pull the front knee backwards and straighten it 
as they're about to go into their release. Now, for uh, remember, we now have this wonderful visual tool. So you're going to be able to look at the photo. And Joe, you're looking at the photo? I am. Okay, so this is David who gave me permission. I texted him this morning and gave him, he gave me permission to show this before and after. He's a wonderful pitcher who is what, who I call Mr. Tenacity. This guy never gives up. He's going to be very successful someday if he isn't already. But this was something we just did this summer. So this guy, as you can see, is about 6'5". And um, he was coming to me specifically for the issue of why aren't I throwing harder? So, of course, when you're troubleshooting velocity, you have to look for the little details. Last week, there was a detail of the elbow not being straight enough. So on uh, this session, I was noticing, and, and you'll see this in the left photo, that if you notice on release, his front knee is pulling backwards. And his knee, if you do a straight line from the knee down to the ground, you'll see that there, that line would land about three inches behind his heel, correct? That's what it looks like to me, yes. You see that? Yep. And if you draw a line from his shoulder, it would be behind his knee and probably land behind the foot as well. So you can see how he is delivering the ball. And I call that delivering the ball from behind the body, from behind the foot instead of over it. Now, in the right photo, and this was, I, I chose this photo because I wanted to show you. Now, he's actually doing a drill here, and if you see those colored dots down on the mound, those are things I put down. You guys are visual, and sometimes we're measuring where does the foot land, how far out beyond it does the hand get. We move the dots around, and they're able to double check and really see for themselves in between pitches, and of course, I'm also filming. But sometimes it gives them a visual of where they need to be headed. So he was actually doing a drill here where he was pitching. And this is, of course, the exact same place in the motion as the position to the left. So these have been synchronized. Notice that his knee is not straight. It's bent. But notice the location of his knee. So we always talk about the front leg needing to have a bend in it. Well, the one thing about knee mechanics is where is the knee when it has that bend? If you look at the photo on the left, you'll see his knee is bent, but he pulled it backwards. He actually probably looked like he did on the right, but he pulled the knee backwards as he was straightening it, which pulled his hips backward. Now, if you look at the one on the right, you will see where his shoulder is in relationship to his foot. And it's definitely more out in front. But look at the hand and on the picture on the right, Joe. Look how far out in front of his foot the hand is. That's at the exact same place of release. So this, I'm not picking photos to make something look different. This is, these photos have been synchronized. Now look at the photo on the left. Do you see how the hand is, you know, it's hard to tell from this distance, but on the left, it looks like his hand might be inches in front of his foot. And on the right, it looks like his hand is 18 inches in front of his foot. Do you see that? Yeah, I was going to say even two feet. Oh, looks like more than 18 inches yeah. from there. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I want you guys to notice, because I thought this was interesting. Now, on the left, he's actually going faster than he is on his right. And even with that, I want you to look at how far the ball is from the hand. 
Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is one of these whoa, like last week. Oh, I love film. I love film. And this is the kind of stuff you can't see without film. This and so what I was doing is I created a drill to show him he comes to me, he's really good, should be in the mid 90s, hits 91, basically around 89, 90. What what am I doing? And I have to show him, hey, guess what? There's always a reason. This isn't a mystery. So I create a drill that demonstrates a difference. So that's what I did here. When he saw this, he was like, so excited. And that's what we want. We want one for a pitcher to be relieved that there's an answer. It's like going to the doctor and he says, we can't find anything wrong and you're sicker than a dog. Okay. He loves knowing there's a solution and then he knows he can do it because he's doing it in a drill. And then you start, you start now, now you've got a place to start with teaching. So then you start breaking it down, teaching them the skills. But anyway, this is the most important thing. So for the coaches that have uh, pitchers that pull the knee backward, they're actually pulling themselves away from their release point, which means that they are cutting down on their velocity. Now, as an analytical kinesiologist, no matter what we're talking about, whether we're talking about the latest craziest contraption to help you throw harder, or we're talking about a, a mechanics issue that we see frequently in major league pitchers, my job is to say, well, why do they do that? Or why do pitchers think long toss is good? What are they getting out of it? Why does someone think they need a contraption to strap their arm to their head to know what the angle is or whatever it is? I'm always curious about why someone came up with something or why someone likes something because it's in answering and investigating that question that you can learn a lot. So I figured out, and I think I have mentioned this one thing before. So why would a pitcher position his front leg and then at the moment of acceleration, pull the knee backwards to straighten it. And by the way, the, on the left, David's knee is slightly bent. Most pitchers slam it backwards. They slam it to where it's perfectly straight. Joe, you know what I'm talking about. You remember like Tim Lincecum Absolutely, did yeah. There's a lot, many pitchers do it, and it, there are some people that even teach that, strangely enough. Yes, they slam it backward. Okay, so let's talk about why would this be such a common error and why I need to talk about it so you can start to realize it, even though it kind of you thought made sense, it doesn't make sense here. Number one, if you watch a good hitter, hitters pull the front knee backwards, many of them. Correct, Joe? Yes, absolutely. Because when you're hitting... I imagine you're trying to, you want the bat to swing forward, but you need to brace your weight backward so you don't go with the bat, meaning you would lose all your velocity, correct? Right, exactly. You would you lose your swing. Okay. Exactly. So what skill do most kids learn first? I mean, they're always learning hitting. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying they learn it first. And they very much emulate hitters. So you pull the knee backwards because it's what you do when you accelerate the bat. Okay. But you're doing it because you do not want your body weight 
to follow into the ball. You want to use it from behind the swing and you need to stabilize so you, while you're standing, getting approaching the ball, waiting for the ball to come, as you're accelerating, you're shifting your weight backwards so you can shift the weight of your rotation and bat forward. Correct, Joe? Am I saying that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it's you. You you basically need you need all your strength right there. Yeah, right around where home plate is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now remember, pitching is not like that. You go forward. You're stabilized when you release, and you go forward through the ball. So. What works for hitting does not work for pitching, but it's where kids develop the the idea. All youth pitchers pull the knee backwards. That's number one. Now, why is it taught? Well, let's assume we have some instructors that went to graduate school. And in graduate school, when you're studying baseball pitching, if you if you are studied at all, you are you are reading uh, hundreds of research articles. And people who study pitching love to compare pitching to throwing a football. And thus we get people who misinterpreted or didn't interpret the results correctly. And they say, throw a football to make your arm stronger. Nothing could be further from the truth for a pitcher. But, and also when you study pitching, you study javelin throwing because javelin throwing and baseball pitching is very much compared So in javelin throwing, the javelin thrower is actually standing straight up and down and pulls the knee straight as he is uh, hoisting that thing into the air. Well, his body position is over his front leg. So when he straightens the knee for acceleration, that makes sense. A pitcher is not over his front leg with his hip joint. The, the thrower is, the javelin thrower. So by reading that kind of research, you can misinterpret it. And I've heard many instructors say, yeah, well, in javelin, you, you slam the knee back, you, you extend the knee forcefully. In fact, if you read research, it'll say it, you extend the knee forcefully. But you're extending it forcefully from what looks like a standing position. A pitcher is not in a standing position. His hip joint is way behind his knee. It's behind his knee the way it's behind your knee if you're sitting right now. So you take information like that that's out there and you don't know kinesiology and how to interpret it. And you can get these this information and thus you have instructors that teach it because they didn't understand some nuances. So I'm here to help clear that up. Now, when a pitcher lands, just to be specific, let's talk about the details of this. The picture on the right shows the exact height that a pitcher should land at. That's about 50 to 55 degrees of flexion. Now, I don't expect you to know what that means. You lay down on the floor flat on your stomach, pretend you're about to do a hamstring curl, start to bend your knees, which brings your foot up, and stop about what would feel like a 45-degree angle. Just stop. So now your leg has not gone all the way into a full bend. You're laying on your stomach now. You're at 45 degrees. That's about the angle you want your knee at. If you turn him upside down, that's the angle it would be at. When he pitches and releases the ball, and if I showed you the next frame, you would see this. Remember, frame by frame, you've got to go like in between frames. 
the next thing you would see is that his knee straightens about 10 more degrees. It brings his hip right over his knee. Now his leg is more straight. And then he goes into a complete follow through. So the leg lands in the degrees that you see on the right and straightens up a tiny bit as he's releasing the ball, which is he's on his way up in this photo that you see. So that is how a leg remains intact. Now, for all of you physical therapists out there, for all of you athletic trainers, for those of you who had knee injuries, let's look at this from a different perspective. Uh, The picture on the right, the ankle and the knee are in alignment. Isn't that in life how your lower leg always looks? Joe, when you walk, is your knee over your foot? I think so. Yeah. When you hurt your <laughs> knee, when you hurt your knee and you fell, your knee was not over your ankle, was it? No, it was, and that actually happened to me this past winter. That's exactly what happened. I know it did. That's why I'm bringing it up. Any physical therapist if you walked or did anything weird like on the left, slamming the knee backward, slamming. And by the way, because he's straightening it here, the next movement, it would straighten even more. He's not going to fall down to the ground. He's going to straighten it up and it'll be straight like the outside angle of a triangle. When that knee slams backward like that and there's nothing underneath it, it's not designed to do that. When you watch a ballet dancer or gymnastics or ice skaters or any sport, the knee and foot are always in relationship to each other. A golfer, I can't think of, there's never a time where your knee gets away from you. Sometimes the knee goes too far forward over the foot and that's not good either. But this here, pulling it backwards is bad. Bad on the knee, bad on the ligaments, bad on the low back, bad for release point, bad for follow through, bad for velocity, bad for location. Have I given enough reasons? Uh, that's about it. That's that's good enough for me. Yeah. I'll, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I was so glad to get this um, to get this question. And again, and for you other coaches that called about getting over the front leg, now look again at how you get over the front leg. And this is where you have to uh, begin to build the skills for a pitcher, you have to look at what is the task you want them to do and create a drill. And actually, we did talk about a drill for this uh, before. This is the this is the position the body's in when I've told you to have a pitcher just get on that one leg, lift up the back leg, and then play catch with the ball so he can learn how to be on top of his left leg and not be behind it. And that is the key to having correct front leg knee mechanics. Well, that's very cool. And there's one question that I have for you because there's one, you've talked about how pitchers wind up in this position where they're slamming back their front knee. I'm not going to say every single pitching coach I've ever met, but probably 95% of them teach to stride further and further and further and further with the idea that the longer your stride is, the more velocity you get. So does it make sense that the longer you stride, if you overstride, it's going to it could cause you to slam that knee back in that way. Is that one of the reasons? Yes. All right. Yes, actually, actually. So here's, here's how you get to the front leg and here's why you would pull the knee backward, why you would have to. First of all, when you move off the back leg, 
you're actually, your leg is staying in place. Your hips, meaning your pelvis, is moving sideways. Those are your hips. The pelvis houses the hips. So you're weight shifting, just like people weight shift. And, you know, a lot of you guys out there golf, so you're swing, you know how to weight shift from one side to the other. Weight shift is how a pitcher gets from the back leg to the front leg. When he shifts his hips and puts his foot down, the front hip, the pelvis needed to have shifted far enough to have weight into that left hip if he's a right-handed pitcher. So when he turns, he's already committed his weight to the front leg. When he turns, like you see David here, he's perfectly square to the plate. He's over. His hips made it. If your front leg juts out too far, and trust me, if you tell a pitcher stride as far as you can, he's going to be swinging and pushing and doing all these unusual things that are beyond the architecture of his body to get his leg out as far as he can. Now, when the weight shift tries to occur, he has nowhere to go because his hips are stuck in the middle and when they're stuck in the middle, the front knee has nothing to do but to pull itself backwards because your hips have not committed enough weight to the front leg. So yes, that is why I do not like you anybody talking about how long a stride should be. A stride should be as long as it can be to allow for this final position to be correct. That's how you determine correct stride length. And the real way to do it is let the pitcher pitch. And then if he's not in this position, check to see if his stride's too long. And if he's, if he's standing up and he didn't know anything about this kind of position, then his stride needs to allow a little more weight shift. So the deal is if you are weight shifting correctly and, and, and land in a place to commit enough weight to the front leg, your stride is going to be right. So yes, the indication of where your feet should go is not a good directive because it's where your hips go and your leg, remember, is connected through your hip. All right. Then I would argue that there, there should be more emphasis on trying to get into a position like the picture on the right then there should be on striding as far as you can. That would be my, that's what I get out of this. Yes. And one of the things that we did end up doing, in fact, uh, you know, when a pitcher says, should I shorten up my stride? I always say, no, I don't want to talk about it that way. I always talk about what I need for him to do. And then if the stride shortens, then cool. But if you tell a pitcher to shorten the stride, it becomes that you now have them stepping out and they become kind of vertical. It's just a semantic thing. So a pitcher doesn't start adjusting the details of the feet and he works more with what is the task that he's supposed to accomplish, which is moving the hips and committing enough weight to the front leg and positioning the hip, the knee and the ankle correctly. So it's just a different way of teaching, but absolutely you're right, Joe bad message about uh, the stride length. All right, then. And, and let's, uh, as a as a coaching initiative, let's just keep stride length out of the conversation is, unless it has to come into the conversation. Let's just leave it out. Yeah, exactly. Unless, of course, a guy is, uh, you know, is completely spread out so much that, uh, and he already knows his stride's too long. So. Right, <laughs> right. 
Okay. That's, that's huge. That's huge stuff. I mean, uh, again, I, almost every pitching coach I've ever met is like, all right, Oh, you're six foot two. You should be striding six foot six. And, and you know, we've had this conversation before, but you know, you could see visually go to angels YouTube channel. So you can see the photos that we're talking about. If you're listening in the car or in the gym or wherever you listen or jogging or something, uh, when you get home, you have five minutes, go on to angels YouTube channel and you'll see the two photos and, and you'll see for yourself. I mean, it's, they talk about, you want to add a foot to your fastball. Well, th- this is a way to legitimately <laughs> add about two or three feet to your fastball. I mean, it literally, so. Oh, I know. Isn't it like amazing when you see it? Every time I go and search for shots and then I, I do the comparison film, I'm always blown away. I already know that it's further, but when you actually see it, it's scary further. So anyway, so, uh, yeah. And I understand why pitching coaches teach it, but I'm here to help pitching coaches advance their knowledge, uh, in, in, in their industry. Right. And toward that end, uh, I think we've given you coaches enough for one episode, but we're going to give you even more. So in the ninth inning, our special segment for coaches, Angel, let's talk about what to do when a pitcher comes off the mound and says, Hey, I'm hurting right here. What's your next step? Exactly. Well, one of uh, one of the coaches that called me, hi, David, he called me a few weeks ago and he was saying, wow, you know, when my my and this is fall ball, right? So everybody's arm is sore because they uh, who knows what they were doing in the summer. And uh, so they come off the mound and they're like, my arm hurts. This hurts. That hurts. And, you know, as a coach, obviously, you aren't going to pretend you're a doctor, but having some information Plus, having information about, even if he says, you say, okay, go see the AT, fine. But the next time that kid comes out, he says, oh, my arm's fine. You should be curious about, okay, his arm's good, but it hurt the other day. What's he doing in his mechanics? So it would be great if you have some place to at least look and then trust your eyes, trust your genius that you have, because when you look in the right place, you probably will see something. So the first thing you want to do from moment one, when a pitcher comes off the mound in a game or at practice and says, my arm hurts, first question you want to ask him, there's a first first few preliminary questions. First, you say, did you warm up before you uh, started uh, doing whatever he was doing? Yes. Was it a thorough warm up? Yes. Did your arm feel warmed up when you went in the game or when you started playing catch? Yes. Okay. You get that out of the way. When did the pain start? Did it start? Okay. You just came out second inning, your arm hurt. Did it hurt in the bullpen? Did it hurt after the last practice? Find out when it started. Okay, that's very important. And all the answers to these questions, you just want the answer and you put it aside because you're building a complete picture here of the whole thing. The next question, is this something brand new or did you have it before? Okay, so that's another piece of information. Does it hurt while you're pitching or throwing? Let's say he's playing catch or does it hurt only when you stop or did it hurt just start after the game? That's another piece of information that you need to know. And now you're building information. And, and if he says it hurts while he's pitching, you ask him, you say, can you tell me where in the motion it hurts? And the place, the way you want to ask that you say, and let me cue you up. And then you answer which one of these it is. It hurts as I'm coming up to my shoulder height out of the glove. It hurts right before I accelerate the ball. 
it hurts right after ball release. As soon as those are three places, it's going to hurt in one of those three. It's not going to hurt anywhere in between. They will immediately tell you if they answered yes to the question of, if they said, it doesn't hurt when I throw, then that's a question you don't have to ask. So those are the questions you have. And that starts. So if he says, it's been hurting for six months. I didn't warm up. It hurts before I throw and after. Well, you know what I mean? This is not a kid. You may not be able to figure this out, but you now you know you're dealing with uh, you know somebody who's not thinking, and that's a very important thing for you to know. So, okay. So now let's talk about the locations. So if a pitcher comes in and he points to his forearm, this is going to be the most common thing you see. This is definitely uh, really, if it's a, if you haven't asked him about warming up, be sure you ask him now. So if you are seeing a pitcher with forearm soreness, you want to check to make sure he's not hooking, meaning that his wrist is bending in an unusual way. We've done podcasts on that as well. Uh, if he's hooking, he's putting tension into his forearm, or if he's leading with the elbow, he's going to put tension into his forearm. So you would look at the way he comes out of the glove and into early cocking. You would also look at the way he's delivering the ball if he's leading with the elbow. If he points to you and says, I have, I hurt here and it's medial elbow. So when you put your hand up in front of you, palm up, like you're going to catch a raindrop, the inside of the elbow next to the crease, that's where we don't want to have pain. Medial elbow means he's doing something sort of funny at, at max external rotation. This is the position he's in prior to acceleration when he has fully squared up towards the target. This is the place that the medial elbow takes a beating. And you will start to see unusual things with that position in the pitcher that has medial elbow pain. If a pitcher tells you he hurts on the outside, your red light should go off, flag should go off, and it's, you should say, wait a minute, this isn't pitching. Very rarely does someone who throws pitching get pain in the lateral elbow, even though I've seen two in the last few months. But the mystery is still, how did this happen? Lateral elbow pain, while all of a sudden it's becoming common in my business, is not usually a throwing or a pitching injury. But you say to the pitcher, did you hit before you threw? Did you warm up before you hit? Have you been doing anything unusual with hitting? Did you change your bat? Did you change the length? Did you change your grip? Because lateral elbow is more of a hitting issue than it would be a throwing issue. You want to eradicate all those possibilities before you start looking at his pitching motion and wondering what is he doing. If he's throwing sidearm or almost throwing sidearm, you might have a lateral elbow problem. But normally, this is a very unusual thing, but those are the places you want to look. If a pitcher is hurting in front of his shoulder, you want to make sure that when he is rotating into squaring up to the plate, that the ball is not real close to his ear. If he's throwing like a shortstop throws and he's coming through with the ball close to his ear, so when he faces the target, the ball is still close to his ear. He's putting a lot of stress on the shoulder because his elbow is too bent. And when the elbow is too bent, the ball being near the ear like a shortstop throws 
it produces shoulder problems. So it's an incorrect elbow mechanics that produce shoulder tightness. So you want to look at the position of the ball as he rotates into squaring up. If he complains about the rear of the shoulder, you want to look at everything that happens after ball release. It's a deceleration in injury. If this is a guy that you're always saying, finish your pitch, finish your pitch, don't stand up on your pitch. Don't stand up on your pitch. If this is a guy that's saying that and he has rear shoulder injuries, that's coming from improper deceleration. And if he's complaining about the top of the shoulder, and usually with that, he'll go, coach, my arm feels dead. They only use that word for this one thing. If it's And if they point and it's the top of the shoulder, or if you say, well, raise your arm up to the side and they go, ow, I can't. That's your supraspinatus. That is an injury that is caused by, uh, and it's it actually, and especially if they say, oh, it happens when I'm coming out of the glove. That part of the arm actually is very active throwing most, through most parts of the motion. And what I think you should look for is if his arm drops low or too high during any part of the motion. And so those are the arm issues. And I know this list is long, so I'm hoping you all are putting it on pause and listening. But I do want to mention just some things in the body that are very important. When one of your pitchers complains of low back pain, there is a, uh, a, a terrible thing going on with fractures in the low back of high school kids. Those bones don't close till they're 22. And uh, getting low back fractures is common in pitchers who don't decelerate correctly. Take low back pain seriously. Don't kind of think, oh, good, it's not his arm. Get him to someone immediately so that you can have him looked at, but you want to look at his follow through if he's got low back pain. If he's complaining about the side of his trunk, a right handed pitcher might point to the left side of his waist and go, ow, I hurt here. He's the guy who's pulling himself off to the left too far. Okay, that would be your right-handed pitcher opposite, of course, for the left-handed. And if he's talking about any kind of pain in his uh, obliques, which are his, you know, we had years years of oblique injuries in the major leagues. I don't know what happened to that. Remember we said it's from throwing weighted balls. When he's got oblique pain, when he rotates, he says it hurts. Again, that's something you want to look for. Is he twisting? When he throws the ball, does he twist over to the opposite side of his dominant arm? Is he over-rotating? Is he pulling to the side? And then again, your first question might be, especially if he's the guy with a six-pack and big muscles, you might want to say, what did you do in the gym? And if he says, oh, I'm throwing a 30-pound medicine ball against the wall to get my abs cut, well, then you know what's going on. So those are the ways to connect some soreness, to give you a little information so you have some idea, because we don't want you in the dark when it comes to taking care of our kids. That's it. That's all you got. <laughs> well, about the earlobe. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was uh, fairly comprehensive. I, th- I think we could have just done that segment and, and called it a show. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just a little uh, quick list here. And uh, yeah, so. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one more thing. 
if you're a coach and some pitcher comes to you with every single one of those ailments, <laughs> then I want you to ask that pitcher if he's also a catcher and the number four <laughs> hitter in the lineup because exactly. I can tell you I experienced just about every single one of those mm -hmm. ailments at one point or another mm -hmm. playing in high school and college and semi-pro and I am sure it's because I did the the ultimate sin which was catch and pitch so yes there you have it yes you didn't know me then and uh no no and it was 30 <laughs> years ago we didn't know these oh, things wait. we didn't know any better <laughs> Right. You need a time machine. <laughs> so anyway, well, to all the coaches out there, thank you for listening. And I hope this has been a, a show that has enlightened you on some topics and helps you do your job better. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to say that if if you listener did not get anything out of this show, then you needed to turn up the volume because there was a <laughs> heck of a lot here. And I encourage you to stop, go back, get out a notebook and a pen and write again. And I also encourage you to go to Angel's YouTube channel and make sure you can see the photos that we were looking at, the befores and afters. And as always, if you want to learn more about Angel, go to her website, gymscience.com. And if you want to hire Angel, her calendar is filling up quickly. So, <laughs> Yes, all those major league teams that are dying now to add me to their triage. <laughs> well, you know what? She's very easy to reach. You go to angel at gymscience.com. That's her email. And please please do reach out because you know we're serious about this we want to we want to change we want to change what's going on and and angel is going to be at the forefront when it does happen so thank you again for listening and we'll be back in about two weeks and in the meantime we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound